Welcome to The Dish, the podcast where we review 90s movies. And already in episode two, we're reviewing a movie taking place in the 80s, Breaking Our Own Rules. I'm Zach. And I'm Mitch. And together we're going to fumble our way through The Hunt for Red October today. The Hunt for Red October, which is a film that I'm, I admit, a bit nervous to review simply because it's pretty dang great. And we're, I think, trying to make a, a comedy podcast, and yet it's hard to do that with a really good movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. And there are some funny moments in here, but I, I share your trepidation for a couple of reasons. First of all, The Hunt for Red October is just such a legendary movie. I don't want to mess it up or get it wrong. Yeah. The good news is we're probably the first ones to have done a podcast about it. <laughs> Definitely. But also... It's the the Jack Ryan series is probably problematic for us to review because we haven't seen or we haven't read the books. Haven't read the books. Haven't done research. Well, I haven't done research. So we're going to look like some fools as to review this. And we've already done Patriot Games. And there was a lot of blank space where we were kind of inferring what the books might have done. Correct. I think that's a tradition we should continue. Agreed. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of trying to grasp at straws while we're trying to figure out what's going on in certain scenes. Yeah, I I felt like this movie was more straightforward with its plot. There was less guessing to be done. Because with Patriot Games, until I scrubbed back through the movie and edited the first pod episode, I didn't realize how many mistakes I had made in understanding the plot. Oh, likewise. I was a million times worse than even you were. In the pod, you were explaining half the plot to me. Fair enough. <laughs> but uh, there were definitely mistakes, but that also made the, the edit fun because I could correct us with the clips from the movie. Yeah, yeah, very true. I, I do feel like they're big shoes to fill. Yeah, for sure. And we can, we'll get into our takes on the movie and everything. I was under the influence of a couple of White Claws last night whenever I watched The Fro. So I was feeling strangely less creative than I normally do when drinking. Oh, I think alcohol usually makes me really like quippy and eloquent. I feel the same. And funny. But I think it was because I had those beers two hours prior to watching it. So I was on the downturn when you were like tired. You got a little mental fog. Yeah. And it was late. So that being said, I'm even more nervous. about what is to come well hopefully i can be the the springboard upon which your jokes can emanate from yeah hopefully i can pull off some good double backflips if it makes you feel better i don't have jokes written down i didn't prepare a, a comedian style no me either but i definitely noted a couple of funny moments or whatever yeah yeah um, gotta do that which so do you want to go ahead and dive into the to the movie yeah let's do it So, yeah, when we start the movie, there's a quintessential 90s, this is the reason why we do this, screen crawl, where it mentions that the year is 1984. Man, quintessential 90s, you're right. It's like the pre-matrix text. And it comes with a nice little digitized sound when the letters come out. It's the height of the Cold War, and the events we are about to witness never took place officially. A nuclear sub, the Red October sank, the crew was evacuated, and the sub sank. But we're told these are the actual events. Originally, this movie didn't have the screen crawl. It was supposed to just be in like 1990. Uh But Sean Connery wouldn't sign up because he didn't think it seemed 
plausible at, because the Cold War was really defrosting at that point. It was almost over. Yeah. So we zoom out of a very recognizable Sean Connery, his eyes. We start with his eyes and he has those cavernous wrinkles all throughout. And I think we're getting the sense that this is an important dude and he's a dude who's seen a lot of shit. He is on top of a massive submarine. Yeah. Uh, leaving some kind of sound or inlet. And we then see none other than Sam Neill. We're speaking in Russian with very clearly not Russian accents. Sam Neill says, Captain, it's time. Yeah. I thought the Russian was actually pretty good. Mm. It's time. Sean Connery says, yes, it's time. So they don't have them speaking complicated sentences. It's yeah. just like two words. And to me, the first time I watched it, actually, it sounded really convincing. I was like, oh, my God. They're having... At first, I'm like, are they going to be speaking Russian throughout the whole movie? Yeah, that would have been a trip. They go back into the sub. They're standing in the con, that big like uh, tower part in the middle of the submarine. If you're in the know at this point, it's a Typhoon-class submarine, which is Soviet only. It is really big. And then it cuts to the opening credits or the opening title scene. And we get the most patriotic Russian music I think I've ever heard. Our hero, or I guess not our hero. Depends on how you look at it. But we That's see Jack point. Ryan. I, I, this is another interesting point of this movie. I didn't know who to like root for. Yeah, Jack Ryan is the hero, but they have a Sean Connery, and he is dominating the screen. I wouldn't miss it for the world, Trebek. <laughs> I turned down Harry friggin' Potter for this. <laughs> yeah, he... Sean, I, this movie, while it is a Jack Ryan, it's after a Jack Ryan book, it's a movie about Ramius, in, in my eyes. Totally. It's yeah. totally about Ramius, and Jack Ryan is just a shepherd yeah. trying to bring him in. Exactly. Gates McFadden is on screen for all of, what, five seconds? Maybe never five. never see her again. Did you notice she was British? Two stories, two glasses of water. He's supposed to, be, he's supposed to live in London. Yeah, but, I don't know. And I, I'm just going to bring this up now. I noticed later that they mentioned the wife's name, and it's not Kathy; it's Caroline. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah. In the next Weird. scene, he's at the CIA, and he's talking to our favorite James Earl Jones. Yep. He's his character is Admiral Greer. Admiral Greer. So he's an admiral in the navy. Yeah. Admiral Greer, Greer is talking to Jack Ryan about Caroline and five-year-old Sally, but isn't his wife's name Kathy, or at least in? Patriot Games, it was Kathy. Yeah, in Patriot Games, I'm pretty sure it was Kathy. So um, either there's a continuity error in the movies or there's something that happens that we don't know about with the wives. It surely can't be us who is wrong. It has to be the continuity manager. We're just stating our observation. Am I so out of touch? No, it's the children who are wrong. But this, was, this is like a good point to mention that in Tom Clancy movie-verse, Patriot Games is a sequel to The Hunt for Red October. But in Tom Clancy novel verse, Patriot Games is a prequel to The Hunt for Red October. And you're sure of this? You've done the research. Positive. I have done the research. Wow. Shockingly. We can insert a track of people going, <gasps> Wow. Um, <laughs> but The Hunt for Red October came out in, the novel came out in 84. 
Patriot Games came out sometime after that, but it's written to be a prequel. Okay. Okay. So that I, makes I a little bit the, more sense. Yeah. I think in Movieverse, they made Patriot Games to be like 15 years later to explain away why Harrison Ford looks so much older than Alec Baldwin. So <laughs> yeah, while he's meeting with Admiral Greer, he, they get down to brass tacks and Ryan shows off these pictures taken from a Soviet shipyard of this new submarine. New Typhoon class. Right. New Typhoon class that has these strange bays on the side they haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed that I thought would be cool to see would, was how did Ryan get these pictures? I wondered that too. Is there a spy in the dry docks? There must be, but it is kind of left open for interpretation, I think. Oh, like, like how he got it? Yeah, yeah, you don't know. He just has these pictures. It's probably addressed in the novels, if I had to guess. Probably. I hate, I, anytime we don't know something, we're just like, it must have been God, and that God is Tom Clancy. It must have been God, though. <laughs> you can't explain that. Yes. Ryan tells Greer that he wants to show it to his guy at the academy. Greer says, actually, this is... This is high priority. Yeah, because the sub was seen on satellites today. Yeah. At it's the been released. Polyarney Inlet, which took me a while to get the pronunciation down on that one. We've cut to the USS Dallas, and the sonar ops vet, who I'm calling Sonar Jones is teaching a rookie about how to listen to the the sonar. I could have sworn when they were in the sonar room, it doesn't show the person talking at first, the sonar guy, Sonar Jones. I could have sworn it was Samuel Jackson. You hear it? Beaumont, at Caltech we used to do this in our sleep. You hear it now? See man Beaumont signal algorithmic processing systems. Give it a week and you'll be teaching at Caltech. Oh, when we we first watched this uh, a couple months ago, I thought the same thing. We both we both looked at each other, each other like, like that's Samuel Jackson. That's Sam Jackson, yeah. But it sounds so much like yeah. Him. And the pans over, it's not him. Oh well. But this guy's still good. They get a ping. They hear something, and they all go into action to figure out what it is. Con sonar, new contact bearing zero nine seven. Designate contact number Sierra three five. Yeah, logistically, Dallas is a attack sub that is hanging out near the Polyarney Inlet. And so they're basically like the taggers and trackers of new subs coming out of dry dock. So they catch this new sub and they're like, all right, let's just chase it. We're going to call it Typhoon 7. We're going to come out and (laughs) tag it and chase it. And that's like their role. So they're already on the tail of the Red October. So cut to the Red October. And did you notice just how cacophonous it was? The first scene, all the crew was just jabbering. All of them. That gave such a great tone to the scene. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and this is what really drew me in initially. And then the way the cinematography is done, where how Sean Connery comes down a ladder and walks through, it's done where it's looking up a little bit at him, and it just has this incredible gravitas. And it's already just building the tension in such a fun way. You know that this is the most important character in the film, with the first scene he's in. He's the one that we're looking at. Well, the game is afoot. And so we, it's what it's time for. It's time to open the orders. Got to open the orders because I guess that's how it works in Russia. You get a really big, badass nuclear sub, you set off, and then you, as the captain, with the help of the political officer on board, each have your, like, nuclear code keys, and you both open up the box at the same time and check it out. In Soviet Russia, orders open you. (laughs) Ramius goes to his office. The political officer is waiting there for him, looking through his shit, because in Russia, nothing is yours. 
this is all in Russian. He's reading an, an excerpt from a book, but he's criticizing it. And as he is reading it, it zooms in on his lips as he's speaking Russian, and he's saying a verse, and then he switches to English, and it zooms back out. And from here forward, we get to hear the Russian crew all speaking English. Yeah, it's such a supremely clever way to switch from Russian to English. Yeah. Because the way I see it, I think you really... And this is coming from the layman. We're just a couple guys who don't know anything about how like movie production and screenwriting works or whatever. But the Certainly. way I see it, we there's two ways to portray a, a group of people who are English speaking acting as foreigners. Mm-hmm. So you see this a lot in like I don't know Nazi movies or whatever. You can have them speak hire German people or Russian people, have them speak in Russian and then put subtitles or have an accent or have them all have bad accents. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is really cool. What it shows to do here is almost like you're using a universal translator from Star Trek because yeah. it zooms in and it zooms out like we mirrored into all of a sudden, suddenly understanding Russian. And what makes us even cooler is the word Armageddon is the same word in English and Russian. Mm-hmm. So the word they chose to hinge on the switch is like this dual functional word. Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured forth his bowl into the air, and a voice cried out from heaven, saying, It is done. Yeah. And the I think the next line that you get in English is, I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Yeah, it's the Oppenheimer quote. Yeah. And that's what the political officer is worried about. He's like, dude. And it sets the scene for Ramius, too, because it, clu- it teases the audience. Like, this guy is has uh, quotes from Oppenheimer about the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. He's carrying 200 warheads. And so it also develops Ramius and makes him this like very fun, morally ambiguous yeah. captain that you like him just because of how interesting he is on screen, but you're also like, shit, this guy is up to no good. You think he is to begin with, but for me, it made me think he has a conscience. To me, him having that book and the way that he took the book away, clearly annoyed from the political officer who assumed it was his. Yeah, he's annoyed. He said it's his late wife's book. I didn't underline that passage. That was her. But you can tell he's annoyed both because this guy's going through his shit. That was my, that's my dead wife's book. But I got the sense that he also agreed with it. Yeah. And yeah. to me, that really gave Ramius uh, a moral compass from the start. That kind of, the idea of a moral compass is quickly dashed because Ramius essentially slaughters the political right. officer. They read their orders. The orders are to rendezvous with another Russian sub. Mm-hmm. And Connery, as he's walking out of the room, grabs him from the back, crushes his windpipe, kills him. What do you think of that, Trebek? <laughs> and says, yeah. where I am going, you cannot follow. Yeah. And again, morally ambiguous. Is he going to launch nukes? Mm-hmm. Is he going just somewhere he's not supposed to? What's going on? Yeah, you're definitely thinking that in the beginning. Yeah. So Ramius yeah. destroys this guy. <laughs> you see the guy suffocate. And then he th- throws the tea on the ground and, and calls in the doctor. Something terrible has happened. Then we cut back to Jack Ryan, and he's going to go see Skip, I guess another submarine expert. And this is where we're introduced to the DSRV, or Chekhov's mini-sub. <laughs> Ryan brings the pics of the sub to Skip and asks him to check out those weird doors on the side of it. And Skip is like, oh, yeah, that could be a whisper drive, a caterpillar drive. Basically, the sub can move without making any noise. Yeah, the main driver for the story is laid bare here. 
because he relates the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis yeah, to this. He does. And says this guy could park a couple hundred nukes off the eastern seaboard and no one would know. Until it was all over. And so up until this point, we just know we have a unscrupulous Russian sub-captain and Jack Ryan doing their own business. But now the stakes have been raised a lot. So back on the Red October, Dr. Petrov, who I think this is the first time we've seen him, played by Tim Curry. Yes, Tim um, Curry. I'm just a sweet transvestite. Did not expect to see Tim Curry on a Russian nuclear sub. And it's it made obvious here that Ramius has no intention of going back. Right. And, Against the doctor's orders. We have to put back in, but no. And as the medical assistants drag the political officer out of the room, Sean Connery looks back points at some random seaman that's just standing around. Your name? Cook's assistant Logan officer. Good. Yanks the key off the political officer's neck and says, I want both of you to witness me taking the key from the political officer and keeping it for myself. Yeah. I'm taking it for myself. I'm removing the political officer's missile key. Carry on. And I'm keeping it myself. Captain, I, I think we should report this to Red Fleet Command. This is most unnerving, Captain. The reason for having two missile keys is so that no one man may... May what? May arm the missiles. Perhaps I should keep the key. Thank you, that'll be all, Doctor. He takes the key and they announce the orders to the crew. The fake orders, the ones that came out of Ramius's jacket right after he murdered the political officer and burnt the other orders. Ramius addresses the crew and explains the orders that they have, which are to engage the silent drive, sail into American territory, complete missile drills, and then head to Havana. Which sounds like a pretty badass mission to me if you're, a, if you're on a Russian nuclear sub. You mean we get to go bomb the Americans and then head to Havana? Wonderful. That's not Russian, but... Yeah, and this is a great speech. I loved his speech was moving even for me. Yeah. And I'm an American. <laughs> yeah, he was riling these guys up. Something fierce. Yeah, so much so they even start freaking singing they do which the first time i saw this i was like wouldn't you want to crack down on that even farting on a sub when you're trying to be stealthy is like a problem i don't think there's any amount of russian patriotism that is not always condoned so like it's a communist country it's all about for the the good of the motherland so i think you could probably break out into a patriotic russian song at a funeral and nobody's going to have anything to say about it in fact they'd probably have to start singing along <laughs> for fear of being put on a list. You're endangering your country's interests by singing, potentially. Maybe, but it's, it's not clear how easy it is to hear sound coming in from inside the sub, outside of the sub. They go ahead and engage the whisper drive and disappear from the scopes of the Dallas. What are you talking about? Check your gear. Running diagnostics now, Captain. Sonar is working, Captain. The Russian disappeared. But, what do you call him? But Sonar, Sonar Jones? Jones. Sonar Jones, he has a keen ear for the Russian uh, national anthem. He sure does. Soviet national anthem. And for a second, I thought I heard... Heard what? I thought I heard singing, sir. This word, this gets back to the CIA, and they are freaking the fuck out, because now they know the Caterpillar Drive is at large, 
And they're heading straight towards the East Coast. They schedule an emergency meeting with an advisor to the president and all the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which, you know, is only done for holy shit situations. It's one level away from the Situation Room. And guess what? Jack Ryan gets to lead the charge and explain all this to all these bigwigs. Which he learns as he's walking into the room. (laughs) Yeah. And this is one of the things I like about Alec Baldwin playing this role way better than Harrison Ford is... Alec Baldwin does a much better job of showing the kind of subdued reluctance and nervousness. Yeah. Harrison Ford just always has, and you said it great, that withered stare. Mm-hmm. If Harrison Ford learned he was doing this, or really anything in this movie, he would just look like pissed off, like yeah. Liam Neeson from Taking. Alec Baldwin drops his ice cream off the cone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, he, he's, not, he's not like a thousand yard stare, but he just looks like, God damn it. Should have just sent a memo. As he's giving his speech, some guy pipes up that somehow he got intel that the admiral received a letter from Ramius who met with the premier and after this meeting the red fleet was ordered to sink the red october sink her oh my god they've got a madman on their hands the room just devolves into chaos because everyone's oh shit we got a madman with nukes heading directly for us right what the hell it's an invisible sub carrying 50 nukes Everyone's freaking out. Yeah. There's a military industrial complex type character. Uh, Once it launches, we have four minutes to do something about it. But what's fun here after this is you see one of those Jack Ryan analytical moments where he's trying to put the pieces together. He's noticing little details. Yeah. And then has that classic son of a bitch bitch moment. Slams the table. He has this epiphany right at the table. Let's interrupt the most important men in the country. Yeah. You wish to add something to our discussion, Dr. Ryan? And he postulates to them that Ramius isn't coming to attack the U.S. He's coming to defect. One guy in particular takes issue with Jack Ryan's take and calls him out like, how do you know Ramius? And Jack Ryan just very deftly pulls his pants down and says, I had dinner with Ramius. I know him. Do you Have you met Ramius yeah. before? Oh, what's even better about this is the general tries to, to one-up Ryan's so hard. He's like, you're just an analyst. What do you know? Who asked that question, first of all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he, turned, then he turns around, he unbuckles his belt so that Jack Ryan can pull his pants down. Yeah, he's like, here, I'll unzip my fly. You can just shank me from behind. Idiot! So the guy that the head of the meeting says, all right, well, we'll adjourn. Let's think about this. And this was this part was hilarious. When it's just the politician and Jack Ryan in the room, the politician kind of struts up to Jack. And can we call this politician Big Glasses? Because there's a lot of politicians, and I gave him a name because so, he comes up several times. I actually called him uh, Liar Cheat Politician. Liar, or just oh yeah. Cheat Politician. Cheat Politician, yeah, yeah. Because he, he walks up to Jack, he struts up to Jack Ryan and says, um, listen, I'm a politician, which means I'm a cheat and a liar. When I'm not kissing babies, I'm stealing their lollipops. But it also <laughs> means that I keep my options open. Yeah. So what do we do if, if this guy's actually defecting? Yeah. And Ryan has some great points. He's like, well, we need to contact him covertly because if mm-hmm. we go through the normal channels, the Red Fleet's going to be all over that shit. Yeah. And if we can get on the boat, talk to him, and then inspect it, great. That'd be awesome. And cheat politician is like, all right. Three days. That's you, got, all you-, you got three days. Go do that. Yeah. It's dinner time on the Red October. They're having a fancy ass dinner too. They are having a straight up Easter Sunday buffet. Like, like they got out the silver. 
Yeah, they got like the nice catering with the little metal barbecue things with the little flame under it. Yeah, you got the little alcohol burners underneath them. Yeah, I wonder what communist Soviet submarine buffet food is like. Do you think it's like the good kind that's hot and warm and moist, or is it the kind that's like cold and dry and nasty? I think they took the cold, dry stuff and heated it up and put it in nice uh, dishware. (laughs) Even for the senior staff? I don't know. You saw the cook earlier. He's not cooking any five-star meals. That's a cook's assistant. That's true. Maybe the cook has one of those thin mustaches, and we just didn't get to see that. Oh, like a ratatouille mustache? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I would... I'm going to go ahead and say that this is probably, like, nice, like, wedding buffet, because when Vasily pushes Dr. Petrov out of the room, Petrov, Tim Curry, seems pretty reticent to leave he's like now like the food (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that's a good point i'm thinking maybe they only have a few of these meals on the ship they don't dine out like this every time they go to dinner so you think ramey has sent a memo like we just unveiled the caterpillar drive special occasion let's have a little boys night lunch yeah this is this is departure dinner which i guess like why boys night because every day on a submarine is boys night this is a complete, total, you know, sausage festival. I love sausage festival. What? Like in Vienna. Right. It <laughs> Guys is. night. There, there's not many ladies on there. But we get this scene with the officers, and they're all very uneasy about what's going on. They're uneasy about the fact that the political officer turned up dead, but they're continuing with, with their orders. Before we begin, Captain, I'd like to know exactly what happened to Putin. And Ramius admits more or less, to murdering the guy. He tells them that he sent a letter to the Russian admiral telling them that they are indeed defecting, which is kind of a shrewd move because... Well, he's locked them in. There'll be no going back. He's locked them in. They have to do everything they can to run away from the fleet because, you know, the fleet, they're marked. I assume he handpicked all these guys to, to go on this maiden voyage anyway. And he's got these plans. They're long premeditated. He knows that these people that he's chosen are the most trustworthy people in the fleet. But he also doesn't want to give them the option to back out. Which is what makes it such a shrewd move. And it's hinted earlier that Ryan, or when Ryan gave a speech, that like Ramius is maybe the top submarine guy in the red fleet almost definitely like he's probably handpicked this crew so yeah you got to expect that vasily seems like a very he's a super loyal second officer second in command yeah comes to his defense even he doesn't question the captain in front of the crew Mm -hmm. so i i gotta wonder if he handpicked vasily or are they like always together I, i i got the feeling that vasily was his first mate and that he had been for some time. They have a deep relationship, one that I feel like goes back a long way. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that's one of the things that I wished this movie did more of. I wish they'd explored that a little bit more. Is explored the characters that we're made to care about in on the sub at least, see their a bit of their home lives. Mm-hmm. And it, that's a very difficult thing to do because it can be very boring having 30 cumulative minutes of seeing the family at home. I think that could have been something that made us feel a little bit more connected to these characters in the subs. That's true. None of these Russian officers have any sort of background at all. Like we, just, all we know is that they wear that they wear the nice uniform and that they're important. We don't know if Ramy is sending this letter has essentially ruined their lives by separating them from their families indefinitely. Yeah. We have no idea. These are all just a bunch of nameless guys who 
had agreed to go along with this defection, but they are very reluctant now that it's set in stone. And Sean Connery, all he really does to lay their fears is just keep eating casually. <laughs> Not even that. He was even a little more cold-hearted. He said, personally, I give us one chance in three. One chance in three. Personally, I give us one chance in three. No more tea anyway. Which, yeah, I, I agree. So offhandedly, I too. I hadn't thought about that. Ramius is perfectly positioned to defect because he has no family that a Soviet Union can use as collateral. Mm -hmm. But all these other people are implicated as a result of his decision. Yeah, and there are like 10 guys in there. A couple of those guys have got to have families, unless he sure. specifically chose all the bachelors. Definitely. You know, did he condemn their families to death by this? That's a good question. Did he condemn them to the gulag? I, that would have been an interesting scene to have at some point in the movie is some of these people's families getting taken to, getting forcefully taken to prison. Yeah. And then perhaps, I, I don't know if this is possible, but communication could have gotten back to about October that one by one, certain senior officers were getting, were getting correspondence that your family has been taken to to death row or gulag or whatever yeah and that could have been build up more tension between between officers the officers and Ramius. yeah that would have been a really in, that, that would have been a really cool way to do it yeah but it would have been a lot harder to keep moving forward with it i mean Ramius would not have been a likable character at that point Ramius kicks out all the officers except for sam neil what's his character's name again vasily he kicks out all the officers except for vasily because he's worried about getting into American seas and running into a hot shot, running into someone who... Some buckaroo. Yeah, some buckaroo. The worry is the Americans. We meet the right sort. This will work. We get some buckaroo. Who isn't going to give him the time of the day to defect and just blow him out of the water. Or yeah. he'll have to blow him out of the water and start a war between the country he's trying to defect to and his... Yeah, and the editing is perfect because right when he says the hot shot, some what, what if we meet some buckaroo? That could condemn us. It cuts to Jack Ryan's mug on a bumpy helicopter ride. I think it was a plane. Just It doesn't matter. But either way, we cut to Jack Ryan in what I have here described as an SNL skit. <laughs> And he's just sitting there hugging a life vest, like getting jostled out of his mind. And there's a very aloof uh, co-pilot just like chewing on a Snickers bar talking about, ah, oh, this is nothing. You should have seen like... He's telling him all his worst vomit stories. Oh, that's right. He's talking about... He's oh, you should have seen the time this guy vomited all over the windshield. We couldn't <laughs> see out of it. We had to use our shirts to wipe it up. You want a bite of the Snickers? <laughs> you're not you when you're hungry. Yeah, it, that was one of the first, like, great humor scenes in yeah. this movie. They land on the USS Enterprise. Welcome aboard the Enterprise, Mr. Wolf. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Which, is, I guess, is the only other Star Trek crossover other than Dr. Beverly. And since we had the joke about Beverly Crusher in, in the first ep with Patriot oh, Games, yeah, yeah. to me this is like, oh, here's the Star Trek crossover. Maybe we just have to find all the Star Trek crossovers. You could say it's... USS Enterprise, 1701 USA or something. But that would be like a deep nerd joke. Maybe we'll get that. Yeah, it's way too. <laughs> that's a deep cut. But yeah, we, they land on the USS Enterprise, and we're introduced to the commander in charge here, 
who I have as Admiral Hank Hill. He's definitely a Texan. He's a big dude in charge of this ship. You work for Jim Greer? That's right, sir. And I imagine you'll tell me what all the hubbub's about. So on on the USS Enterprise, oh, I, I lied, Zach. There's actually another a deep cut from Star Trek here, <laughs> because Captain Hank Hill and Jack Ryan are talking with oh. Hank Hill's like lieutenant or I his know exactly first mate, where you're going with this. and it's Moriarty from TNG. Yeah, in, with in much like a, shorter hair. Yeah, in a, in a leather jacket, and um, much less devious. So yeah, much less devious. And or you know what if this is a crackpot theory, but the last we see of Moriarty. He was put into some like in like a simulation ship where Moriarty thought he escaped from the holodeck. Uh-huh. What if he actually escaped from the holodeck? What if he made a mistake and was like, "Oh, I need to get back on the USS Enterprise and get back <laughs> yeah. at Picard who trapped me," and he, he realized he got the wrong Enterprise? Oh my gosh, he ends up on Tom Clancy's uh, USS Enterprise in another holodeck program. This is all just a, a TNG holodeck program. And it's only yeah. here because Moriarty brought it into existence. Moriarty, this vessel's computer has a vast memory capacity. How well I know. And that's something Moriarty could definitely do. Yeah, totally what could. If the Hunt for October is just a big simulation in the real <laughs> USS Enterprise holodeck. Oh my God. <laughs> I love it. That is so great. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But then the one like reservation, Captain Hank Hill has is you have a submarine populated with people presumably a loyal following of Ramius that do want to defect mm-hmm. but you also have a shit ton of people that would not like the crew. right like you've got he's got to get you've got to get them off there in order for this plan to have a chance you got a plan for that we ask them politely yet firmly to leave and you can see jack's like analyst cog start to turn again. yeah exactly and then the next scene we see him in the showers like brushing his teeth thinking how the heck do you get a crew off of a nuclear submarine. And right as he says nuclear submarine, you, you realize he knows how he's going to do it. He knows what Ramius is going to do to get the crew off. I'll take catch the seaman for 800. It really puts into relief how much of a better, how much this is written better and how much of a better Jack Ryan, Alec Baldwin is than Harrison Ford and Patriot Games. Yeah. Because there weren't those analytical moments. The big aha, son of a bitch moment in Patriot Games was when he walked into the wrong bathroom by accident and happened to see a redhead in there. Yeah. It's like, oh, there was a redhead driving that Jeep. Yeah, it was all intuitive. And I have to, I said previously, I like Harrison Ford better as Jack Ryan. It's just that I like Harrison Ford better. He's not a better Jack Ryan. For Jack Ryan, Alec Baldwin is far superior to me. I completely agree. Greatest Jack Ryan of all time. Believe me, everyone says it. He is the greatest Jack Ryan of all time. Jack Harrison Ryan Ford might be the worst. The worst. We need to build a wall around the franchise, not let Harrison Ford come back in. Can we superimpose Alec Baldwin as Jack Ryan in Patriot Games? There's technology that does that. If you put the <laughs> if, if you put the computer inside Alec Baldwin's brain, we should be able to overwrite those movie clips. It's Harrison Ford is just fake news as Jack Ryan. There's a 400 guy, 400 pound guy on a couch somewhere that a, a, a cyber, he's doing cyber and he can do that. Believe me, Jack Ryan is Alec Baldwin <laughs> in real life. <laughs> I used to have a really good Trump. It comes from the back of the throat. He speaks with his lips out forward and it comes right from the back of the throat and he's he very... He says the thoughts that are in the front of his brain, not the thoughts that make any sense in the back of his brain. 
you have to really purse your lips as if you're always tr- about to ready to just kiss some ass at any moment. Yeah, you have to. Donald Trump is a man who, believe me, has his lips pursed a lot of the time. I am a man of special talents. I know how to do pretty much everything. I, I'm very skilled. Everyone who knows me says I'm very skilled. I, I pee on beds very well. Particularly beds that the last, the president of the last administration has slept in. I made sure to pee on the bed before I left the, the Oval Office. I won the White House Oval Office Award for peeing on the most beds. Apparently, Alec Baldwin is actually kind of a deuce. A deuce or a douche? Wrapped up like a douche, another runner in the night. I say deuce. Maybe both. He, <laughs> apparently, Alec Baldwin is kind of a douche. Really? I guess he's a little bit known in the acting world see for being like that guy. I don't think he's as bad as Chevy Chase is renowned to be. Yeah, I've he's heard Chevy, Chevy Chase asshole. is a dick. But that, which is apparently one of the reasons why he didn't come back in Patriot Games. Really? Yeah. I think there's there's like a disagreement from... Alec Baldwin and like the screenwriter or whoever was in charge of that. But essentially Alec Baldwin had a very different vision for what his parts were going to be. And he like, wasn't really budging. So he's one of those guys who you really like him on screen. You don't like him off screen. Yeah. I get that sense. Shame. He essentially asked this huge salary for the next part. And the (laughs) producer was like, Hey, we could get Harrison Ford for that much. <laughs> so yeah, like, why wouldn't you? And it, rather than reducing his salary request, Alec Baldwin was like, fuck you guys, I'm just going to go do a Broadway show, which I think career-wise is probably a bad move. I'd, it must have been because I've never heard of the Alec Baldwin Broadway show. <laughs> it's not a show I'd, I think I would want to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe not. We've gotten a little bit off topic. That we have. But that's okay, because we can just jump right back in. And then we cut back to the USS Dallas, where Sonar Jones is figuring out what's going on with this drive. He's picked up seismic activity, according to the computer on the sub. I'm not following you, John. Sir, I'm sorry. Listen to it at 10 times speed. Now that's got to be man-made, Captain. But he's not buying it. He thinks that it's the Red October. And he's just explaining this all to the captain. The captain of the Dallas seemed very familiar to me. I just couldn't place him anywhere. I totally agree. I couldn't. He looked so familiar to me. From here on out, I just call him Captain Familiar. Oh, really? (laughs) Okay. It's not important who he is. (laughs) (laughs) And Captain Familiar is sold. That's great. I believe you, Jones. Let's Let's go. Let's go get him. They're going to this classic Russian version of Cannonball Run where they're going to run through this like valley that the Russians have really well mapped yeah. out down to like millimeter scale yeah, so headed. they can make the turns without having to use sonar. Yeah. And the plan is they're going to cut them off at the pass. Head them off at the pass? I hate that cliche. So the Red October is entering Thor's twins. And this is where things start to get exciting. They have these like super detailed maps of the seafloor there, so they can literally navigate them with a stopwatch and a map. You start to get the music building, you get the exciting... Um, Typical sub-trope and danger that they're getting themselves into. Yeah, but they're navigating the lanes with just a map and a stopwatch. And Ramius comes out and tells them to increase speed. Increase speed to 26 knots. 
And the navigator who had, you know, been like running the show up until this point, looking at his map, checking his time, he starts to get the sweats a little bit. His name is Kamarov, and I have him listed here as the Kremlin chin. <laughs> Because he had the best chin of anyone on the ship, just very much like one of those double butt chins. And so he has to recalculate all of this shit to get him through these sea canyons without hitting anything. They hit the gas, and this scene was funny because Ramius, Sean Connery comes in there, and he just like grabs some tea, and he just sits down and casually belts his seatbelt. And this is one of those times where... Whenever Ramius in this movie expresses how cool he is, he's always eating. He's just huh. coolly munching down on something or drinking something. He's like, I'm the most suave motherfucker, y'all know. Yeah, when, when he catches his tea as they're going in this... Uh, on this turn that he delayed yeah. like crazy or this, something. It's a big bank turn and the tea starts to slide off his mm-hmm. desk and he doesn't break eye contact with Vasily as he like catches it. Yeah. And it's yeah, just I one of those that. like... When I saw that, I'm like, Sean Connery is well above 60 but he has not lost a cool point he is still one cool motherfucker he has a surplus of cool i have no objections a lot of that from being james bond or he brought a lot of the coolness to james bond they're speeding through these channels through these lanes and you get a boom and a shutter and the lights dim as the sub has overheated more or less and they have to switch back off the whisper drive while repairs are made Ramius makes the questionable call to move forward on normal propulsion, which, of course, the implication is everybody and their brother that's listening is going to be able to hear them turn their prop on. Mm-hmm. And it's this is I think this is the early big gamble in the movie because you, you've got to balance running away from the Red Fleet that's coming to gun your ass down or just like making the progress that you need to make. But he's just diving headlong into nuclear war territory. Yeah. It's he could real have taken risky. his time to stay silent and figured out a plan of maybe how to contact the Without Americans, speeding up. Without giving their position away. Yeah. Well, he, don't, he didn't, didn't done did that. <laughs> nice. We'll cut that one out. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a scene with a Soviet anti-sub plane, and they've spotted the Red October. Since they don't have the Whisper Drive on anymore... They drop a torpedo from the air after the Red October to try and take it out. Yeah, and it's while the October is still in this cavern run that they right. mapped out. And they're four minutes away from the next turn. So there's this intense build with a big cap- countdown with the intense bleeping of the torpedo getting closer. They are approaching this turn, and Kremlin Chin is counting down like, hey, we've got five seconds, so we need to turn. Four seconds. And Ramius is just like, hold up. Hold. Okay, plus one, plus two, and they it, it's more and more intense. The torpedo's getting closer. They're getting further and further away from where they should have turned and approaching the, the canyon wall. And he has them turn at the last second, and they avoid this torpedo. But it blows up and shakes the ship. And the crew is like, are they really shooting at us? I, we thought this was supposed to be a yeah, drill. It's, it's the reveal scene where essentially Ramius's plans are a little bit outed where the crew that are, at least are at the con are like, holy shit, something is different than what we were told. Yeah. The scene is fun because it's one of those so quintessential sub scenes where 
here it's Ramius going right up against, he's about to like T-bone this cavern wall, but he turns at the last second. But in other movies, it's Captain, the sub can't dive to this depth yeah. further. Or Captain, we're out of oxygen. Wait till the last second to do the emergency blow. Yeah. So what they chose to do here, because this is like one of those submarine movie tropes, is just wait until the last possible second to do the turn and like really stretch the, because this ship moves like a pregnant whale or something. But it's cool too, because you get, the scene outside of the sub and it's pretty well done where you see the sub make this turn at the last second and the, the torpedo can't make the turn and it runs into the, to the seawall. This movie apparently caught so much shit about the special effects showing the subs in the water. Why? Well, I saw something from Roger Ebert specifically that said they looked like big fat gray whales or something like that. Yeah. Well, they kind of do. <laughs> and there are a couple of scenes that I thought looked a little unbelievable, but on the whole, fairly well done. Preparation H feels good. No, nothing. You know what? I agree. Preparation H does feel good on the whole. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're spreckens the same lingity. Get that cream all around the hole. On the whole, I thought, yeah, the special effects were pretty good. And the subs, the water exterior sub shots, they were models. Like the bubbles maybe looked a little bit weird, but it was very believable for me. Yeah, it did it for me. Yeah. Uh, recognizing this is a film from 90, I thought it was great. I'm surprised that Ebert wasn't blown away. Likewise, it's one of the things that seems to get like this movie gets hammered on, but when it comes down to it, it's not about the special effects, it's about the great story. So they're still running under conventional power uh, after this torpedo near miss happens. And the engineer discovers that there's a saboteur aboard the Red October. <laughs> he comes up with this piece of destroyed copper conduit and circuitry and says they would have had to, to have had a pretty good knowledge of the ship to disable the whisper drive like this, like it was a pointed attack. So this is the part where we get to see Jack Ryan enters the battle bridge of the Enterprise to see Captain Hank Hill, and he gets the briefing of what's happened overnight about how the Red October is at large and how all of the Russian fleet has been dispatched after it. You get this on like the, this battleship's map, like computer map, which to me just looked like a big light bright. Yeah. It really did. <laughs> yeah. Like and, a digitized battleship. Yeah. Playboard. Digitized light bright battleship game. <laughs> and you can see the Russian fleet. It looks like they're driving the red October right into a trap. Yeah, he connected the dots that they were going so fast and so hard that they wouldn't be able to find him. Mm -hmm. But the reason is they were trying to push him towards these attack subs lying in wait. So they were pushing him into an ambush. And so then Jack is like, okay, you got to tell the Dallas to go to square B-19 and your light bright there <laughs> and make sure he doesn't get killed. So yeah, Jack Ryan wants aboard the Dallas. He needs to get to that ship, to that submarine in order to get in touch with Ramius. So enter the chopper scene. <laughs> What's fun about this movie is no one has a plan. Yeah. No one has a plan. Everyone's fine by the seat of their pants. The only thing that the U.S. has is Ryan because he knows Ramius well enough and has made some pretty suave guesses mm -hmm. about what Ramius is going to do and what he might be trying to do. So what the U.S. is doing is just have they have this like Jack Ryan in football and they're like, okay, let's put Jack Ryan here. Yeah, put Jack in. He's he's their plan A, but their plan B is very clear too. 
because big glasses politician guy is like, you've got three days to figure this out or else we're just going to have to destroy the ship, period. And so Jack Ryan knows that it's up to him to make sure that if he's right about Ramius defecting, he's the only chance that he's got to actually defect. He's basically, Ramius is in a global nuclear war scale game of pickle. Wait, what is pickle? It's like a drill in baseball, but you get out in baseball by being tagged with, with the ball. someone who has the ball. So let's say you're, you're running from second to third. You can get caught in the middle of second and third. Third baseman has the ball. Shit, I got to go back to second base. Third baseman throws the ball to second baseman. Shit, let me turn around and go back to third yeah. base. They essentially close in on you. Or if you're a really deft runner or tricky and sneaky with your strategy, yeah. you can run around them and basically get back to second base safely or ideally get to third base. Third base here is, of course, America, America. Ramius. Okay, yeah. The Dallas is back on the tail of the October, and they're, they're following him. We get the, the shout from Sonar Jones. Come on, Sonar, crazy Ivan. All stop, quick, quiet. And it's explained that occasionally Russian subcaptains will just make a turn at random to see if there's anyone behind them. So they have to be on their toes to make sure to, to stay in the baffles and not get heard. So they basically stop, turn, and listen. It's like when I watch a horror movie and I'm sitting on the couch right in front of a wall and I very quickly turn around to see if there's a murderer behind me. Yeah, you pause the movie real quick and look around like, oh, okay, they're not sneaking up on me. Or maybe they just call out Crazy Ivan in their head and run away. So back on the Red October, <laughs> Sam Neill and Sean Connery are talking about how they're still two days away from the U.S. coast. And I do kind of wish there was more of this. I think it was just enough but just barely enough exposition to get a little bit of insight into what these guys are looking forward to defecting to America. Vasily, he's like, I'm going to take a plump American wife and I'm going to live in Montana. Maybe even two wives. Maybe even two <laughs> wives, yeah. And I'm going to raise rabbits and it's going to be great. And he he's saying all these things while at the same time like looking to Ramius and saying, I can do that, right? Do they let you do that? Yes. Do you think when he was telling Ramius this about his plans, because if, if you asked me, okay, like this Russian second in command is defecting, what's he going to do with his new life? I'd probably say, well, go to New York. I feel like you can live in big cities pretty easily as a foreigner. Mm -hmm. If you told me he was going to go be like this crazy rancher guy in Montana <laughs> eating rabbits or whatever and driving pickup trucks from state to state, do you think... Ramius at any point when he heard this was like what the fuck <laughs> you're gonna do what maybe a little bit I, in the back of his mind he might have been like alright you've got your dreams I've got mine <laughs> yeah he's like okay well while you go have fun catching rabbits I'm just gonna go fish when I get to America yeah I just miss fishing that was yeah great. I'm just gonna go fish you do whatever you wanna do in your pickup truck man I think they both yeah they both have their pipe dreams how much would you pay to go watch a movie about Sam Neill playing Vasily, say, 20 years later, living in Montana, and some Putin lackey comes to try and kill him. And he has to set up this like whole home defense, like almost like shooter or something, where he's like just living his life in Montana, and then he's going to play like the home defense movie where he just kills a bunch of people. No, no, no. Here's what happens. So he gets word that the that the Putin assassin is on the way, and he calls up Ramius, oh! his buddy Ramius, and yeah. brings him down from like Wisconsin or wherever the fuck it is <laughs> that he was fishing, 
and they have a, like red style like geriatric battle <laughs> oh my i would pay so I would much love money for that, that. oh my god that'd be great and they just badassly take out the the i assume leagues of assassins that come after them is this all you've got vlad <laughs> are these your best men you can do better than that Vlad, while you were rising the ranks from the KGB, I fucked the prom queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's a deep cut right there. While you were still in training in the KGB, I had fucked the, the prom queen's mother. <laughs> oh, that's not what your mother said last night, Putin. <laughs> another another character building moment is... I think this is really important for Ramis's character. You see he has such a big distaste for war. Mm-hmm. He really um, does. He essentially expressed his profound sorrow for being out at sea. And while he was gone, his wife died. Yeah. It's very clear now that... He regrets his career. He, uh, Yeah, he definitely regrets his career. But I think more so he devalues he abhors politicians that want to wage war yeah and because they don't think about the men who have to do that who have to carry out their orders yeah and he even acknowledges like the cold war like there are still casualties Mm -hmm. whether they be people like his wife or casualties of lives that could have had because of the iron curtain this is when i think you really get the color that the moral ambiguity is leaving at this point you see the true colors of ramius you see that he is a good man he's coloring inside the lines of the morality coloring book he's doing what he thinks is right he was given the red october knowing that it's the most powerful first strike weapon ever made and he knew when that happened exactly what he had to do. And I think this scene is really important for establishing the motivations and backstory of Ramius, which is really powerful. It's There are a number of stories throughout history of people that a number of times where you see the humanity in people throughout the Cold War or other wars mm-hmm. where they had the ability to, they had their finger in the button and then thought, no, I shouldn't do this. Yeah, Especially in uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, for example. Not some buckaroo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's true. So the chopper drops Ryan off at the USS Dallas, and he gets to meet Captain Familiar. He tells Captain Familiar about the Red October, about the possibility of Ramius's defection. So the USS Dallas is in full attack mode. Yeah, they're they're not trying to do any kind of discussion or negotiation. Mm-hmm. Their orders are take Ramius's ass out. So cue the red alert on the Dallas, and right then, just about, Sonar Jones gets another lock on their October, and they pursue it. Ryan is giving his best pitch because Ramius is going to get blown out of the water unless he does. So he's giving it all he's got. Captain, please listen to me. Two minutes, that's all. He really grabs his attention when he says, has he pulled the crazy Ivan yet? Yeah. And Jack Ryan is like, believe me. I know Ramius. I know Ramius. He turned starboard at the top of the hour. I had dinner with him once. He is a great man. Maybe the greatest man I've ever known. Our relationship is the strongest. Nobody believes me, but those people are the fake news, the fake media. What he's going to do is he's going to pull a crazy Ivan and turn right, because he always does at the bottom of the hour. I know Ramius better than probably anyone in this world. Believe me. That's what he will do. It's the greatest move possibly ever. His mother told me he always turns right at the top of the hour. Or always turns left at the top of the hour. Always turns right at the bottom of the hour. It's very clear that this is what he does. I, I know this to be fact. And not long later, 
sure enough, Sonar Jones. Come Sonar, crazy Ivan. And they come to a full stop, and you can see on Captain Familiar's face, oh shit, this guy might have something right. Yeah. And he says, Jones, what direction did he turn? Sure enough. Which way is he turning, Jones? To the starboard, sir. They go full stop, full reverse, and make a bunch of noise with the sub. And they know that the October hears them. They go to periscope depth. And they have a little bit of a Morse code conversation with Ramius. Jack Ryan knows that he can send a message directly to Ramius because he's going to be the one looking through the periscope. And Ryan communicates via Morse code to Ramius, hey, if you're trying to defect, answer us with a single ping. And so Ramius comes off the, the periscope and they give a ping. And Sean Connery, Ramius comes off of the periscope with the most conspicuous demeanor I, I just thought if any of the crew is watching him in this moment they know that something is up like something is more than up the look on his face is like holy shit this is actually happening the level of chess that's being played here on both jack ryan and ramius's parts is pretty staggering he so jack ryan has to figure out how to definitely send a message that's at periscope depth yeah. And so they're playing this weird kind of ping phone tag. Mm -hmm. And it's like whenever someone can't speak, if you can hear me, blink once. <laughs> the catch here is Ramius is the only person that can interpret the Morse code because it's being sent through light through Periscope. Mm -hmm. So no one else on the Red October knows what they're being told by Jack Ryan. So when he's acknowledging with a ping, the rest of the crew sees it as they're trying to get a hold of where exactly this dirty American submarine yeah, let's, is. Let's confirm this He's target. Like, Verify range to target. Give me a ping. Yeah. Are pings a real thing in submarines? I'm assuming they are. They are, but they don't use them very often because you're... They're super loud. You're like, yeah, you're pulling your pants down for everyone to find out where yeah. you are. And um, there's a bunch of side-eyeing going on in this scene from both Sam Neill and the rest of the crew. Which is so fun. It's also like how sending one more ping as a confirmation of where they're going is like this 40 level chess because vastly is like, you want me to send another ping? And Sean Connery gives that great line, one ping vastly and one ping only. Yeah. <laughs> and which is, I guess in the submarine world, pointless because you would need multiple to figure out yeah. exactly wh who they are, what their shape is, how far away they are. What the next scene, we get the radiation alarm going off on the Red October, and Dr. Petrov, Tim Curry, is insisting that we have to evacuate the ship. They surface the ship. When they get up there, they see a, a U.S. battleship like heading right towards them. So Ramius says, well, we certainly can't be captured, so me and the officers will take the ship down and we'll scuttle it, we'll destroy it. And this is where Captain Familiar, Jack Ryan, and Sonar Jones, they all get aboard Chekhov's mini-sub, and head towards the Red October to meet Ramius and the officers. And I think it's worth mentioning that the mini sub, it's like a very small sub that's meant for like mating with another sub for rescue or like boarding. So they're mm -hmm. doing this. It's There's only four people can only fit on it. And so they're like going on to the top of the con, the little tower where the hatch is yeah. on the Red October. It's very incognito. They mate with it. <laughs> it's like an elephant banging a mouse. <laughs> It's an oddly mesmerizing display. 
What? It's like a uh, submarine discovery channel. The two submarines mating in the wild in the natural habitat. <laughs> they make their way inside and they have a kind of tense icebreaker standoff with the Red October senior staff where they, they're just standing there and everyone's looking at each other. And Ramius looks at Captain Familiar's gun and says something in Russian, which turns out to be like, Oh, he thinks you're some kind of cowboy. Huh? Yeah, Ryan can understand basic Russian and is, and is like, which, hey, he thinks, you, he thinks you're a cowboy. Which leads to the great ice-breaking language transition, the second of two in this movie, which is so slick, where Ryan is like, oh, well, yeah, I, I can understand Russian. I know what you just said. It's good to understand the language of your adversary. Yeah. And it, he, this is all being said in Russian. And then it cuts back to Sean Connery, who says, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. I love this scene. You see these officers from the the most powerful Russian sub in the Red Fleet face to face with an American sub captain and and crew, and it's like the gravity of the situation sets in as they all are staring at each other, and it's so heavy. And part of you thinks they're just going to draw right there because of all this. The other part of you thinks they're two enemies getting along. And Jack Ryan does a great job of breaking the ice because he sees the engineer smoking. And he asks for a cigarette just to kind of break the ice. Yeah. Knowing that knowing he doesn't smoke, knowing that he's probably gonna make a fool of himself, but he does it anyway. He takes a drag from him and coughs, and all the Russians are like, ha, ha, the Russian tobacco <laughs> or whatever. The all the niceties are interrupted by uh, a really odd sound, which I guess turns out it's a torpedo whizzing over the Torpedo and uh Ramius's old student Tupolov is the one that shot it. So they race to figure out what's going on, and we have a really cool kind of side switching scene where everyone goes to battle stations and the Americans take up the positions that some of the jettisoned crew otherwise would have. Yeah. They have a skeleton crew of a couple of Russians and a few Americans running this sub jointly. When I first watched this movie, this was so cool. Like, oh, definitely. I, I almost didn't see it coming. I, I really should have seen it coming the first time I watched it, but so I was like, okay, well, here's the two meeting up. Ramius requests asylum. Sure, no problem. They shake hands. Torpedo whizzes by. Oh, fuck. Battle stations. Get down to business. Yeah. So great. And this is where the movie just pops off. And, and it's all action from here to like the last couple minutes. Yeah. So uh, Ryan, Jack, Bal Jack Baldwin. Jack Baldwin. <laughs> Jack Baldwin sits down in the driver's Jack seat. Jack Baldwin is a very good friend of mine. And did you know that Alec Baldwin was actually trained as an attack sub navigator? For this scene? No, like in general. That's, that he was like in the Navy. What? I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. And so, yet he feigns ignorance so well. So now we've got the USS Dallas, the, the Red October, and Tupolev sub all in underwater combat. And Ryan's driving. And right when they sit down, the uh, other Russian submarine fires a second torpedo uh -huh. and instinctively ramia says turn right directly into the torpedo yeah and drive right towards that thing captain familiar from the dallas goes don't do that Ramius, you're crazy and ramius is like well you know the crazy ivan but have you heard of the insane igor <laughs> <laughs> he does say that <laughs> totally he's cool as hell in this scene oh yeah he's got ice in his veins this whole movie i love this because once again 
I guess since he didn't have any food nearby, he decided to instead, while they're like waiting in the last 15 seconds for this torpedo to hit them, he decides to turn to Jack Ryan and say, so what books did you write about me or, or about these like Russian naval events or whatever? It's so great. I was um, expecting to pull like a pack of Pop-Tarts out of his coat pocket. <laughs> so the, the catch is that the torpedo has to travel a certain distance before it get ar- gets armed. Right. And so Ramius was just closing the distance real fast. So when the torpedo hits a submarine, it just gets shredded because it's a small hunk of metal hitting a giant hunk of metal. I'll be damned. What happened? Combat tactics, Mr. Ryan. By turning into the torpedo, the captain closed the distance before it could arm itself. They all pull out their handkerchiefs. Woo, that was close. Yeah. But they don't get a break because somebody starts shooting at them from on yeah. the Red October. <laughs> yeah, what's a good uh, Russian name that starts with S? Sergio Russian? Sergey? Sergey Sabatar comes out of the background and shoots at all the people on the bridge, and he nails Vasily. And his last line is something like, I would have really liked to have seen Montana. He dies so fast. He gets shot, and he's just like, he like yeah. tell Montana I said hi. Yeah. And then he's just gone immediately. Yeah. <laughs> he looks down, he sees that dab of 90s blood, and just has his one-liner and then tilts his head back and he's gone. I would like to have seen Montana. Sergei Sabatar runs into the missile silo with Ramius and Ryan in tow. And immediately, Ramius gets shot in the shoulder. It's kind of minor, but Ryan goes after him. Ryan's climbing all throughout these missile silo rafters after the Sabatar. Yeah, it was a really fun scene. All all of this all of this ending is like quintessentially nineties. Like the final fight scene is taking place on the metal catwalking of the silo room. Yeah. Which I guess now would be a good time to mention the person that directed this, his name is John McTiernan. He directed Predator and Die Hard. Oh, and he loves just, those rafters. He just feels so diehardy. The final fight's happening on scaffolding and there's pipes and everything everywhere. How else. many and, factories do you think get approached? in like California to be like, hey, we want to come here and shoot an action scene. Do they? Do the guys get like paid time off for that? The, the employees there? Back in the 90s, for sure. Ryan finds the Sabotar with his hand on the trigger about to launch one of these missiles or blow up one of these missiles and destroy everything. And uh, he, he shoots the guy. Just in time. But one thing I loved right before this was after... Remius gets shot and it's like, you know, go get the guy. Alec Baldwin does a great Sean Connery impression. Ryan, some things in here don't react well to bullets. Yeah, like me. I don't react well to bullets. Oh, yeah, he's mocking him for yeah. sure. Be careful where you shoot it. There are some dangerous things in here. Yeah. Which the guy that he shoots, the saboteur, is the cook's assistant from earlier. A goddamn cook! Yeah. Which groan such a groan moment i'll i'll we'll we'll finish the movie and i'll groan about that more okay then we see that tupolev is pulling his hair out setting the the range finders to zero for the missiles so they can blow up whenever and sending out more torpedoes at the red october this last torpedo that we know is armed no matter when it hits something it's going to blow up in the last second the uss dallas swoops in 
and gets its heat seeking off just enough and they lead the torpedo and they dodge right by the Russian sub just in time to send their own torpedo at them and blow them up. Torpedo, get ahead! You are a ass. You've killed us. So we get this big explosion. of the Russian sub getting blown up. And this was one where, to me, it was clearly Hollywood special effects because it shows you the scene on the surface with all the crew watching, and you get this big splash, but it's three individual explosions that all went off at the exact same time. Yeah. So I was like, okay, it's a long explosion. I guess it's supposed to look like a submarine, but to me, it just looks like you blew up three sticks of dynamite roughly 50 feet apart from each other. Yeah, and when you see the explosion, you see all the rescued crew from the Red October, and they believe, oh, the Red October got sunk. Yeah. Fuck. They've been rooting for their captain fighting the Americans this whole time. Yeah. Big explosion happens. It's got to be the Red October. Right after the explosion of the Tupolev sub, we go to to the White House with big glasses, cheat politician explaining very patronizingly to the <laughs> Russian ambassador about how, oh, we found the wreckage. It's just we won't be able to recover it because it's so deep and stuff. And it's such a terrible tragedy that, that this happened. Yeah. And the ambassadors, I think he maybe knows that there's some intrigue going on. He's yeah. like trying to like poke around and see if we can get more information. He's like, well, we did lose another sub. It was Tupolev sub. It was whatever class. Have you happened to And the politician is like, wait, you lost another, another sub? sub? And the guy just looks down on his hat. Yeah, fuck. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I got nothing. Anything. Shit. Our very last scene is this. Very bad blue screen scene. Oh, it's terrible. Well, they do that. By far the worst CGI in the whole movie. Worst, worst scene in the whole movie. The lines are fine, but it just it was distracting. The even the lines are bad. Yeah, they put that blue filter over it, and they have a a background, a superimposed background. It's all just washed in blue. It's the complete opposite of the cover art for the movie. Instead of being crazy red, it's crazy blue. My problem wasn't the blue. That was distasteful but it was okay the problem was the cgi was like so bad and this is a mistake i can't let slide in the 90s this is a mistake i let slide in the 60s i don't know the technical term for it but everyone has seen this millions of times when you're watching a movie from the 60s or 70s they're and there's two characters driving in a car yeah and there's they're playing some video playing out the rear window okay they're clearly just playing a clip and it looks so cheesy yeah it's the same scene but it's like panoramic 360 around jack ryan and ramius hanging out the top of the con of the red october as they're like waxing philosophical about what it means to turn this sub over god you guys could have ended on such a better note ended with ramius fishing or yeah end it with you end know, it with ramius going to montana and like spreading some ashes yeah of of vasily of, of his wife there's such so many cool ways you could have ended it or visiting montana and yeah. being like what did vasily want to see here end it with sean connery as ramius attending a lecture by jack ryan or visiting montana on oh. soviet nuclear <laughs> subtech yeah yeah. Come on. <laughs> Unfortunately, they hadn't thought that far ahead. Yeah. Uh, so we're left with this, where Sean Connery is, or Ramius is, he quotes Christopher Columbus. Yeah. And it's a mediocre quote anyways, but it turns out that it's a fake quote. 
Christopher Columbus never even said it. Is it really? I looked it up and historians like were like, yeah, no, we looked through all the text and we can't find a single reference of Christopher Columbus saying it. Which That's forgivable if it's like this profoundly moving quote. The outro is just more heavy, patriotic Russian music and zooming out of Jack Ryan sleeping on a plane. Cue credits. And sitting next to Jack Ryan is the baby brother bear for Sally. Oh, is it really? Nice. I guess... Sigh. That's uh, pretty similar to the end of Patriot Games. I'm not going to say it ruins it or it's really unsatisfying because the final action scene was fun, but there's so many more fun ways that could have ended it that could have put such a nice bow on it. And it's such a corny ending just like Patriot games where it's will they have a boy or a girl yeah it ends with oh he got the baby baby brother bear for sally like we mentioned in the beginning don't you remember that it's like they tried to make it about jack ryan again at the very end but realistically they couldn't possibly fill the shoes of what you wanted which was more like let's end with ramius and following up the previous 30 minutes of really great action and, and intensity they just missed the mark. Uh, you were wrong, you Montebank. They could have spent an extra five minutes doing more exposition and having that closure for Ramius and for Vasily, and it would have been a better movie. Mitch. Yeah. Did you like this movie? I love this movie. I It's pretty fun. I admit watching the second time wasn't as, it wasn't as exciting and great as the first time. It was still very good. I still really enjoyed it. But when you and I first watched this movie, which is several months ago, we paused it like five or six times just to look and be like, oh, this movie's great <laughs> like, <laughs> to each other. So um, it, it, was, it was a very good movie. I really enjoyed it. And I think that it is far superior to Patriot Games still. I totally agree uh, with you on pretty much all points that this is probably one of my favorite movies now. And it's not as good as the first time I watched it. But especially having watched Patriot Games so recently, this movie blows that movie out of the water. It really does. There's Pun intended. (laughs) 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 uh, There's so much more going on. Somehow, even though they tried to spend a lot of time getting you attached to the characters in Patriot Games, you feel more for the characters in October. It's also, the stakes are so much higher in this movie. The conflict, if the protagonist, which is made to be Jack Ryan, but really rooting for Ramius the whole movie because Sean Connery is just so good. Yeah. Protagonist is Jack Ryan. If he doesn't make contact and allow Ramius to defect in a good way, the Americans are going to attack the sub. The Russians might respond. And ultimately, the stakes are nuclear holocaust like the end of the world potentially worst case the stakes in patriot games are and not to downplay the significance of jack ryan's family but the stakes are the lives of his family which have merit but the other problem with that movie is it doesn't make you care about his family they don't have any exposition or have any kind of scenes that endear you to they they change the name of the wife they so did. how are you supposed to be like, oh, well, I remember her, the five seconds that she was in the hunt for October. 
she's a really meaningful character to me. Like they no. don't make you invested in the character at all. She's just in, in Patriot games. She's just kind of like the wife. Yeah. The wife. And we said that a lot when we recorded the pod for Patriot games, because we couldn't remember her name. If, if, <laughs> if you can't remember the name of her, then she must not have hit home or, or hit that hard. Yeah. So the hunt for October really hits the mark. It, it, it hits the mark in a lot of areas that Patriot games doesn't. Alec Baldwin is the far superior Jack Ryan to Harrison Ford. The stakes are so much higher. It's a much funner movie. And like a submarine movie, the design space from which you can build out your cinematography and like your choices from what you can do to build tension and danger are so limited. You only have a number of variables to play with to be like, yeah. they're in danger. And yet they do it. And they do, they it, do it so, so well. well. Yeah. It's true. I wanted to have so many like fun and funny quips for this movie. You did a good job. I really like you bringing in Trump. I just, <laughs> I, I felt the weight of it on my shoulders having to talk about it. Yeah. And I'm not qualified <laughs> to review this movie. Yeah. But I have no disillusions. I, I don't think anyone cares what we have to say. I just hope they enjoy what we have to say. I hope so it. too. Last pod, or actually after last pod, you mentioned maybe including a segment where we identify someone we saw who's a true hero. Oh, yeah. Mitch, did you have a true hero for this movie? I do have a true hero for this movie, Zach. I'm going to have to go with Sonar Jones. Oh. Sonar Jones is my true hero because without Sonar Jones... Jack Ryan would not have been able to get to Ramius and it would have the Red October would have been destroyed. I don't see any way for the movie to have been as exciting without him. And it's all because somebody is a real audio file and an audio nerd. Because from from the beginning, like I think one of the very first scenes was we got Sonar Jones talking to the Happy Days rookie about about it, and then the commanding officer comes over and is just kind of like poking fun at Jones for how he likes to use the sub for his personal stereo and, and stuff. But yeah. what it really comes down to is that he's just super good at his job. And that he is. without that, we couldn't have moved forward. So it's I, like I, Captain Familiar said, he's outsmarted a $40 million machine. Yeah, yeah. And his ears are better than that. Exactly. You can't put a price on that. So Sonar Jones takes my medal for the True Hero Award. So who is your true hero? Yeah, I, mine is not as pivotal to the story, but I think he is a true hero. And if if there were m multiple boxes to check to qualify to be a true hero, this guy checks them all. My true hero is the DSRV pilot, the mini rescue sub pilot. I knew it. I knew it was going to be that guy. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. I was like, that'd be my second choice now that I've already said Sonar Jones. But so go on. My first reason why he's a true hero is... Number one, he pilots the DSRV like a boss. I imagine this in real life would probably take multiple attempts. He gets it first try. After the torpedo whizzes by, <laughs> they run back to the DSRV, and he comes out and goes, hey, I think somebody just shot a torpedo at us. Yeah. And he goes, like, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah, and he's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and so the people on the Red October are like, oh, shit, well, we got to jettison the DSRV. We can't have that, like, dangling off of us. So right before they lock the DSRV up, the guy's like, hey, hey wh wh where do I go? And then they close the manhole. 
Yeah. And so they just jettisoned this guy with no idea where to go. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what home base is. He's in the middle of a torpedo fire fight. <laughs> and all I thought of was this is like the Apollo 11 mission when Michael Collins, Buzz Aldrin, and Neil Armstrong go to the moon. Michael Collins is in the lunar orbiting module while Buzz Aldrin and Armstrong go down to the moon. Mm-hmm. It'd be like if Buzz Aldrin and uh, Neil Armstrong were like, Oh, oh, we got problems. Uh, go back to Earth. Uh, I don't have the rockets to do it. And they're like, sorry. <laughs> so this guy's just floating off in the ocean somewhere. He might be floating there today. So he really took one for the team just like doing that. I want scenes of the DSRV just floating in the background of the submarines running around the torpedoes. I just want it in every scene. Like the guy's just, he's upside down in one <laughs> scene. He's going vertical in another scene. He has no clue what's going on. Maybe he leads the torpedo into Tupolev's sub in the end. It really feels like the kind of submarine Dr. Evil would pilot into like <laughs> yeah. his super evil base. It's the submarine that he gives Mini-Me. I think you're right. That's probably like the same submarine that like comes out of his giant like penis-shaped rocket. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little sperm-shaped submarine yeah. that comes out of it. So what really puts the cherry on top of this true hero is this guy, he's technically an extra. He's an actual submariner. Is he really? He's an actual submariner that they plucked. So for this movie, they had to get submarine training or whatever. And this Mm -hmm. movie is like very, Tom Clancy is very militaristically and technically accurate. So they were trained by a bunch of like actual people in the Navy. Sure. So a bunch of extras in many scenes were actual submariners. This guy was one of them. That tracks. So he's also literally, in a sense, a true hero on multiple fronts. If you had to guess if there was a top secret classified military secret that was exposed in this movie and there was oh i was about to ask was there (laughs) what would you guess that secret was and do you remember the scene where that was exposed this is exposed in real life exposed in real life this was a black project that was top secret classified no one knew the navy loaned them a number of maritime warcraft vessels wow yeah including the uss enterprise that is insane Um, that's the time to strike (laughs) (laughs) when you've got all the hollywood buffs on the ship that's when you that's when you send in the red october (laughs) meanwhile someone in russia is like they are filming this movie and now would be the time to strike Mm. so it was actually during the scene where the Dallas was playing cat and mouse with the Red October while it was going through the canyon. It was, again, an extra that said it, but it was kind of a throwaway piece of dialogue that's very easy to miss. Someone said something to the effect of, we're registering a number of milligal anomalies. And in popular culture, everyone knows submarines navigate by active sonar or passive sonar. So you can like send out a ping and based on the frequency of what you hear back and the time delay, you get a sense of what the geographic features are and how far away they are. What was developed not long before this movie was what's called gravity gradiometry. Uh Essentially, you have a a very sensitive device that can detect changes in the gradient of how strong gravity is. So if if you're like coming up on a huge mountain range, the gravity is going to be a little bit stronger in front of you. Yeah. And so like, you can stealthily, without using active sonar, still tell what the features of it. And so he said, we're detecting a number of milligal anomalies. So a gal is the unit of gravity gradient. 
<laughs> and so this was something that like while they were being trained by the Navy, they kind of like, I guess intentionally were like, this needs to come out at some point. So here you go. And yeah, I guess like the submarine community, this just caused a little bit of a Everyone pulled scuttlebutt their because yeah. I was like, holy shit, no one knows this. A scuttlebutt. A scuttlebutt indeed. That's a submarine term. <laughs> That's pretty great. I can imagine that there was just some like, how you know how people in the military are. They're like, ah, yeah, I'll tell you this shit. It's fine. And then... The, all the people going to the theaters would just hear technical jargon and not think anything of it. But there's a the few in the audience who are like, aha, it's a big time Easter egg. Yeah, I I'll mean, say it's, it's very easy to even miss the line if you're looking for it. Nice. Well, you know, the next question I have to ask you is if the hunt for Red October were a food, what food do you think it would be for you? I had talked about previously how i felt like the hunt for october was a really good spaghetti and meatballs i think zach have you got a dish that you would say fits this movie well a food dish specifically i think i have one this was the one blind spot i had with this movie i hadn't thought about this enough but since we've been talking i thought about it's only the name of our pod (laughs) yeah and that might speak to (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> speak a little bit to the thought we put into what our pod is about, which again is like merging food dishes and movies. It's definitely subject to change. Yeah, it is. And also I think I might rate this too. So just as you would rate a a meal at a restaurant, five stars out of five, eight stars out of 10, I'm going to rate it on a food scale. So this movie for me is on a scale of French onion soup, an 8.5 out of 10. So French onion soup is your pick? French onion soup is my pick of food analogy. Man. And it's eight and a half out of 10. That actually says a lot to me because I know how much you love French onion soup. I do love some French onion soup. I've had the pleasure of tasting your French onion soup. And let me tell you, best I've had. Oh, thank you. It's, It's a big compliment for somebody who I know you love French onion soup and I love French onion soup. So that means a lot. Yeah, it's better than my wife's, which is uh, oh my god something that I, I have said in her presence. And you're here to tell, live to tell the I tale. I did, but it's only because she agreed with me. <laughs> oh really? Oh no! Yeah. Tell me why? Why is it? Why is French onion soup your choice? I feel like I've somehow wedged myself in between your marriage, <laughs> or wedged my dish in between your marriage. If, what you'll have to do is bring us some French onion soup to make up for it. So the reason why is, as Mitch said, I I love French onion soup. I make it at least once a year. Hello, fall. But this dish is a labor of love. Like you really have to spend the time to make it good. And the time all goes into caramelizing the onions, which forms like, I mean, it's in the name, French onion soup. And if you don't do that, it's still tasty. It's good onion brothy soup, but lack the character good French onion soup does. And this is an eight, eight and a half out of 10 because this movie is solid. I'm planning on coming back to it probably once a year at least. What this movie falls short on and where it doesn't caramelize the onions quite right is developing the antagonist, the shadowy saboteur. And you could actually argue there's multiple antagonists, the Red Fleet as a whole, the ambassador, but really the most personal antagonist in this movie is the saboteur. 
who is totally undeveloped and feels just random. Thrown in. And for a movie that like heavily drifted away from the content of the book, which I'm, I'm sure that Tom Clancy really gets in the weeds of the details. I'm sure he fleshed out a lot more about this cook and his motivations and whatnot. Probably did. Since they already drifted away so much from the plot of the novel, pick somebody else that makes more sense based on the script and the skeleton of the movie. The cook's assistant doesn't show up other than the first scene. And that's it. And so it feels rushed. It feels like that he's not developed. You don't like care about him. You don't know anything about why he wants to sabotage the ship. You see him for a second and no one says, oh, it's the cook's assistant. You're just like, who the fuck is that guy? Right. And then you realize, oh, it's the guy from like the first 20 minutes who watched Ramius take the key. Yeah. And this blends in a lot really well with the point we made about like, showing a scene of one of the senior officers' families going to the gulag, uh-huh. that could be a great origin story, a mini origin story in the movie about why they don't want this mission to go on and they want Ramius to turn around. And that would be a great reason for someone to go rogue. Unlike, yeah. you know, the cook who really doesn't, like, is he, he's the cook. Does he really have that much independence? And Yeah, and like, not even his motivations. What doesn't make sense to me is, first of all, how does he have the technical and engineering know-how to sabotage something that took the engine, the lead engineer hours to find? How does he know which part to do? How does yeah. he know how to destroy it? And why is he doing that? Can't he poison the food? He's a nuclear physicist in Cook's clothing. Yeah, and like, there's a, a plenty of hazardous equipment. How does he have the clearance to go into the most sensitive parts of the ship? He's surely got clearance to go into areas that have deadly chemicals on it, which I know that there are in a submarine, not that I've been there, but like they have to. He, he could poison the food when they had that banquet yeah, and ended it all there. That's true. Ended it all. Man, that's a really great that's a really great take. We got, we got like your hot take and also your food in the, in the same bundle. Yeah, so it's just like French onion soup. Why didn't you just spend the extra 30 minutes caramelizing your onions? That way, the past two and a half hours are not in vain. Would you say that the final scene is the cheese on top of the French onion soup? <laughs> the final scene, it is totally the cheese, but it's the wrong cheese. It's the wrong cheese. It's the wrong cheese. You just put a bunch of American cheddar, American craft singles on top Ooh. of your French onion soup. And yet it's still an 8.5. Well, I love French onion soup, and there's so much to love about French onion soup. You can pick out the cheese just the same way you can ignore the last scene. You can pick out the cheese, and you can live with slightly uncaramelized onions. There's so much to love about it, but all in all, it's a really strong movie that's so much fun. It's Some people might say it's slow, but I think the tension is built like it's built with such... It's built beautifully in my opinion. Yeah, a lot of the sound effects help build it too, from the torpedo pinging to the pings themselves to the, the sound effects plucked from the music. To the this, Russian patriotic music. Yeah, this movie won an Academy Award for uh, sound design. Mm. That also is a, a huge element of it. And they had a Sean Connery and they fucking utilized 105% of him, 110% of him. They set her to 105%. They did set it to 105%. They had one ping to use, and they used one ping and one ping only. <laughs> only. What is your dish, Mitch? Oh, gosh. You did a really great job. I just want to congratulate you, give you a little like applause, because I know that we're, we're still kind of 
on the fence whether or not the movie's to food is going to work or not. And you knocked it out of the park. That was really great. So here I'm going to just uh, follow up to that with my original, <laughs> what I mentioned in episode zero about Patriot Games. I, I retracted my original thought of it being spaghetti, saying that hunt, the hunt for October is spaghetti. And I think I am going to revise that slightly and say, for me, the hunt for October is day-old spaghetti. Is day-old spaghetti better than day zero spaghetti? In some ways it is, in some ways it isn't. It, the spices have mulled. So it has a little bit more flavor to it, but it's not as good as it could have been. It's not as good as you ate, as if you ate it the day before. I don't have as many great allegories as you did when comparing it to French onion soup, but it's very solid. It's a dish that you really like to eat. I would watch it multiple times a year, just like I would eat spaghetti multiple times a year. It's just something that is it's pulled off really well. Man, I got like... I just feel so inadequate at description of the French onion soup. Well, if it makes you feel any better, it's the it's the dish I know how to make best. So I really blew my dish load here. It's all downhill from here. It's all downhill. I, 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 I know the recipe in and out. <laughs> I, I can't like rely on that. Like I rely on anything else. Like I rely on a French onion soup I recipe. Got, here. Okay, I got you. So I guess if we're from comparing apples to apples, or dishes to dishes, or ingredients to ingredients. The inner workings of spaghetti, you've got your, your noodles and you've got your sauce. And, and I think that you could probably look at the Americans, the, the Red October, and then the Russian sub as your, th- as your three primary ingredients. And the spices is all the interactions in between. And they're all really good, but it's a day old because it does fall short just a little bit in that it doesn't finish quite as well completely agree with you about the saboteur it seemed like an afterthought like something that maybe they felt like they had to mention because it was in the book i assume it was in the book but it just wasn't well done i thought originally that the engineer was a saboteur it, re-watching the movie i i, the, I remembered him being the saboteur and he you know he seemed kind of sketchy and he would have been the there like, were some shots that were laid out in a way that were made to be red herrings yeah, it and he was wearing a red suit on his face <laughs> while there was kind of ominous music playing after mm-hmm. saboteur type events. Yeah, I skipped it in the notes, but I have written on one of these pages. But it zooms in on the engineer, so I didn't mention it because I realized it wasn't him. But I guess the saboteur in my food analogy is it's the time between the first cooking of the spaghetti and then eating it now. What ingredient of your you listed three ingredients? There's the the Spaghetti, the meatballs, and what else? The sauce. Sauce. Who is... Or the meat and the sauce. Who are the Russians? And is is Sean Connery his own ingredient in and of itself? Who? Sean Connery is the meat. It's your favorite part of the spaghetti, right? At least for me. Like when I run out of the meat sauce and you just got noodles left, noodles are fine. But I really wanted some more of that meat. In the same way that we didn't get that. (laughs) In the same (laughs) way... In the same way that we didn't get, there's going to have to be some sort of drop right there. (laughs) What I really want is that meat. That's what your mother said last night. (laughs) The meat's your favorite part of the spaghetti dish. And just like Ramius was my favorite part of the hunt for October. Without it, it's still a pretty good dish. But the... Does this movie work if you have a lesser, perhaps unknown actor as Ramius. 
It only works if he's really fucking good. If he can bring the big dick energy that you get with Sean Connery, then yeah, I think it could still work. For example, with Patriot Games, we knew we had two great actors, Sean Bean and Harrison Ford. But in in 92, Sean Bean probably wasn't that well known. It was probably a kind of a breakout role. For he him, wasn't. Probably. It was. It was. It and was. so, but he did great. And in that same way, I think that if we had some other really good actor in the place of Ramius, I think it could still work. Because, yeah, Sean Connery, he has a lot of weight with him, but good meat's good meat. That is a problematic statement, Mitch. <laughs> I make a lot of those, Zach. I think they could put in a good European, even Eastern European actor. And this movie is still stand up well. Yeah. I think Sean Connery helps elevate it a lot. Yeah, but I this mean, movie still stands well on its own, even with a lesser man as Ramius. Agreed. I think that you could put like Mads Mikkelsen in his place or something, and it would ooh, still work really well. Yeah. Mads Mikkelsen is also one of those like, He's great also, that guy who again he's a very morally ambiguous actor that yeah, who brings a lot of gravitas yeah, yeah yeah that's true but i feel like he's also kind of become that way re- just recently past 20 years yeah so this would have been a really fun interesting earlier role for him yeah wow but they really need the, the seasoned captain for ramius yeah he'd be good oh it'd be like today's mads mickelson I don't know if young young Mads Mikkelsen could have pulled it off. I could see a young Mads Mikkelsen as Tupolev, but the fact that Ramius is such a veteran in the Red Fleet, like he he's the one that all the captains look up to. You know, he he's got age on him, and I don't think that Mads Mikkelsen in '90 would have been old enough to play the role. It's interesting because they chose someone who would be the last person I would think of to cast as a highly experienced Russian submarine commander. Yeah. I wouldn't pick the guy that screams UK yeah, or yeah. Scotland. It just seems like if you pitch this idea to me, if I was the producer, I'd be like, you want to put who as I know he would capture a lot of audience just based on his name, like the sheer weight of his name. Sean Connery. But can he play a Russian submarine commander that's like deep in Soviet command? Yeah. I mean, I think that it kind of harks back to where in the very beginning I said, like, I don't speak Russian. I've heard a lot of Russian spoken, but I could just tell, and please, Russian listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I could tell that Sean Connery spoke Russian with a very Sean Connery accent. <laughs> he relies on his Eschers a lot. And that that stuck out to me early on in the movie. I, I know that it struck you differently, but it didn't break my immersion, but it definitely made me think a little bit like, Sean Connery's not Russian. <laughs> yeah, and it goes back to like, they could have had everyone speak in a Russian accent mm-hmm. or have no one speak in a Russian accent. And that's one thing that actually took me out is one of the skeleton crew after the crew was evacuated had a, Russian had a thick Russian accent. Yeah. I was like, oh, hey, there's somebody with a Russian accent. Uh No one else has one. I think that scene where they switch on Armageddon is enough to be like, all right, like I don't need a Russian accent or whatever. It it was an unnecessary reminder that this is a Russian sub. Yeah, I I agree. So what's next in the docket? Are we going to continue this Tom Clancy trend? Ooh. Are we going to, canonically, I guess, Clearing Present Danger would be next. Present Danger, yeah, would be next. Do we want to continue making a fool of ourselves with our lack of knowledge about the Tom Clancy lore, the, the Tom Clancy canon. I personally think that Harrison Ford is 
a Harrison Ford Tom Clancy is going to be easier to dish about, not in the sense of food, but just talking about the movie and making it fun. I had a lot of trouble making this one fun for a, from a pod perspective. I feel like it had to be done, nonetheless. And yeah, Clear and Present Danger should be next, but I'm pretty sure that's the last Tom Clancy movie from the 90s from the 90s i think there's like an 18 year gap or something like that there's a big gap between it and the next tom clancy movie so i would say yeah we do clear and present danger and then we figure out what's next yeah well one thing we appreciate is the feedback we've gotten from our friends that we've enlisted to help us listen to episode zero thank you for enduring that so thank you for listening to this too. And if you're listening to this and you're not a friend or a family member of us, if you're a stranger, this pod has made it far further than we would have imagined. It has been a fun interaction, a fun experiment that I think we are excited to continue. Indeed. So join us next time when we dish about clear and present danger with Harrison Ford back in the seat of Jack Ryan. Back in the saddle. Till next time.